Welcome to the Life is Better With You Here podcast with Dr. Childs. Here, we want to help. And where there's help, there's hope. A short disclaimer. This podcast is not a replacement for therapy. If you feel you need treatment, we strongly suggest you visit a physician or go to withyouhere.org slash therapist for assistance finding a mental health provider. Our topic for today is anxiety and depression. Now here's our host, Dr. Childs. Hi, and welcome to Life is Better with You Here. I am Dr. Shavana Childs, and we are so glad you're here with us today. Today, our topics are going to be on anxiety and depression. But as you know, before we start, we want you to always be relaxed and be in a good frame of mind. So we're going to start with a quick mindful minute. So find a comfortable position in your chair, your couch, wherever you are. Relax, let your body sink into your couch or your chair. Ground your feet on the floor or relax them wherever you are. Close your eyes and enjoy this mindful guided meditation. So I want you to stop now. Take a truly relaxing breath. Inhale through your nose with a shallow breath. Exhale through your mouth. Inhale slightly more. And exhale now with sound. Inhale more deeply. And again, exhale forcefully. Inhale to capacity. And exhale completely. Emptying your lungs all the way. Again, inhale to capacity. Exhale completely. Emptying your lungs all the way. Inhale again to capacity. Fill up your lungs. And exhale completely, emptying your lungs all the way. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale to full capacity and exhale to full capacity. And you can repeat this as often as you need in everyday life to make you feel more calm when we feel anxiety, when we're feeling on edge. Remember to take some deep, deep breaths and you maintain a steady rhythm of inhalations and exhalations as you breathe. Remember that deep breathing is very important because as we go through our day, we rarely take deep breaths. We're often doing shallow breathing as we rush through our days. We're trying to get everything done. Everything needs to be done. Everybody needs us. And we don't take time to truly, truly breathe. 
So I want you to remember this every day. Take some time to pray, meditate, do some self-care. And a quick one or two minute of this type of breathing will help ground you and get you prepared for your day. Not only will it get you prepared for your day, but this is something you can do throughout the day to deal with the daily anxieties that face us. So with that, today we're going to talk about anxiety and depression. And I'm going to start with some statistics because the signs and symptoms of anxiety and depression differ for everyone. And we're going to talk about some effective ways to deal with that. Everybody's anxiety and depression presents differently. Everybody won't look the same. Everybody won't express it the same. Most people won't go around and say, hey, you know, I'm really feeling anxious today. I'm filled with anxiety. Most of us don't talk like that. Most of us will say something to the effect of feeling jittery, I'm feeling on edge, like my mind is racing. My thoughts are going and going and going and going, and I just can't seem to slow them down. And when we function like that, it can mess with our memory, our focus, our concentration. Um, you ever walk into a room knowing you were going to do something, and as soon as you walked into the room, you forgot what you were going to do? It's because our mind is going in so many different directions. A lot of people will say, you know, I'm just worried. I worry all the time. I worry about this. I worry about that. Oh, I'm just a worrier. It's no big deal. Sometimes it is a big deal. We need to be able to check that and not just brush it off. A lot of times we brush a lot of things off and we're not taking care of ourselves when we do that. We need to be able to take care of ourselves. Remember, three most important people in my life, me, myself, and I. You should repeat that every day. Three most important people in my life, me, myself, and I. If you take care of those three people, your cup is full and you'll have it to give to the people around you. So we're going to start off with anxiety. And anxiety is important. It is an evolutionary skill that we have. It is built in us as human beings. You know, back in caveman times, Neanderthal times, back in the beginning, when we didn't have electricity, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have TikTok, we didn't have, you know, the police, we didn't have all these things. We had lions, tigers, and bears. And if you saw any one of those things or any other threat, you needed to know to run. And that's when anxiety provided a good service for us because it put us on alert that something is dangerous and we need to go. The flip side of that is when your anxiety is on that type of alert in everyday situations. There aren't always lions, tigers, and bears, yet our anxiety is at the lions, tigers, and bears capacity. That's when anxiety is debilitating. And that's when we need to seek help. We need to find ways to cope with it. We also need to find ways to identify it. And again, not brush it off, recognize it for what it is and be able to seek help and not stick to stigmas that prevent us from getting help. There's a lot of stigmas um, in our communities of color, okay? In our families, we don't talk about those things. We don't tell strangers about those things. We just go take a nap or just go sit down somewhere, or just go play. Those things don't often take care of the anxiety that's plaguing us. 
So we're going to talk about those things. But first, let me tell you some statistics about anxiety that might be surprising to you. And it also might let you know that you're not alone in this. So the demographics for anxiety is that, you know, anxiety is more common in women than men, which does not surprise me. As women, we think about our loved ones, our mothers, our fathers, our sisters, our brothers, our spouses, our children, mostly will bring out anxiety in us. Our careers, as we're working, what we're doing, um, specifically in our careers, how people treat us. You know, as women, there's tons of microaggressions that go on in our workplace, how people talk to us, the things that they say to us. And they might say, oh, I was just joking. But to you, it's not a joke. There's a slight in that and not feeling as if you have a voice when you're at work or if you have a voice in your family, if you have a voice in your relationship or making sure you don't say the wrong thing. So we carry a lot of anxiety. And so women are more likely to have anxiety than men. In the past year, 23.4% of women experienced anxiety disorder compared to 14.3% of men. And that's according to the National Institute of Mental Health. As we look at anxiety for race, by far, one study found that white Americans demonstrate more anxiety disorders when compared to minority groups, with the exception of post-traumatic stress disorder. And guess who suffers the most with post-traumatic stress disorder? You got it, African-Americans. And I surmise this goes back to our history in this country. Slavery, racism, discrimination, systematic racism. Um, the prison system. You know, we have the prison pipeline. And when slavery ended, prisons got fuller. So we deal with racism, we deal with sexism, we deal with all of that. And so PTSD is the only area where anxiety is plagued for African-Americans more than it is for other Americans. Our children also suffer from anxiety. And again, it can look very different in children. Of course, children aren't going to go around and say, you know, mommy and daddy, I'm feeling very anxious. Children are going to be listless. They're going to be tired. They're going to act out. They're going to cry. Their work in school isn't going to get done. And for statistics, astoundingly, 31.9% of adolescents between 13 and 18 years old experience anxiety. And it goes untreated in teenagers at higher risk. And they perform poorly in schools. They miss out on important school experiences. Their grades drop and they're more likely to engage in substance use. So when we talk about anxiety, what are we talking about? We're talking about intense, excessive, and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. Again, not lions, tigers, and bears. We're talking about people who are afraid to go out in places. We're talking about people who are afraid to be in social situations. There are people who don't like to be in big crowds. A lot of people can scare us. We can be in a big crowd and feel very anxious, feel very alone, even though we're with a lot of people. We're afraid we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, or what people will think of us if we say or do certain things. So we're always on guard. And then that anxiety kind of steamrolls into all these other things and you're in your head and it's never ending. 
And then that can lead to what we now identify as panic attacks. What a panic attack can look like, again, this varies. You can have sweaty palms. You can have racing heart. You can have racing thoughts, unable to focus, unable to concentrate. Um, with the racing heart, some people feel like they're having a heart attack. feels like their heart is going to beat out of their chest, and it can come out of nowhere. You don't even know what's going on. Sometimes we can't even put a finger on why they're feeling this way. You can be somewhere and all of a sudden you're pouring sweat and it's the middle of winter. Your heart is beating and you don't know what's going on. Some people have been known to black out or pass out and have no idea what happened. You can have intense feelings of fear or anxiety and it can happen in five minutes and it can last for 10 minutes. It can last for an hour. And that can be debilitating. Think about if you're driving and all of a sudden you're hit with a panic attack. Not only are you in danger, but everybody on the road is in danger. If you don't know what's going on, you can't control it. That's how debilitating it can be. It's with daily activities and it interferes with your ability to function. You can't function at work. You can't concentrate. How are you supposed to get those spreadsheets done? What if your boss is the target of your anxiety? What if they're pressuring you when we're under pressure? Some people do very well, some people don't, and it increases their anxiety. You may avoid people, places, or things that cause that anxiety, and that's part of trauma. You know, when we're in trauma, we don't want to be in those people, around those people, places, or things that cause that trauma, so we avoid them, which again means you're avoiding social situations. You're missing out on things when you do that. Um, it can start in childhood. I've spoken to a lot of patients when we start to talk and we talk about their anxiety. Oftentimes, we just think it just happened. But as I start to talk to people, we'll go back and we'll go back and we'll go back and they'll say, you know what? My parents argued a lot or we moved a lot or we did this or that and things constantly changed. And what anxiety is, is the unknowing. It's all the what ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? Or I don't know when something is going to happen. You know, I found when people grow up in households that are chaotic, when there's a lot of fighting, when there's a lot of chaos, they don't know what's going to happen. So they're always on edge. Anxiety can also be hereditary. If we have anxious parents, we tend to be anxious. Because it can be a learned behavior. If you watch your parents and this is how they handle things, you think this is how I'm supposed to handle things. I'm supposed to worry. I'm supposed to be on edge. So this is how we do it. And then you find yourself being an anxious person as well. So some of the common symptoms are to include, but not limited to, because again, we all experience it differently. Feeling nervous, restless, or tense. Having impending danger, panic, or doom. You know, feeling afraid that something awful is going to happen. Okay? Having an increased heart rate. Breathing rapidly. Can't catch your breath. You're short of breath. You ever see those situations where they're like breathing to a paper bag? It's to slow your breathing down so you can literally catch your breath so you can slow your heart rate down. Sweating. Trembling. You ever know when you're scared and you're all jittery and your hands are shaking and, 
you know, that exhilaration and it's not a good exhilaration. Those are one of the signs of anxiety. Feeling weak or tired. Feeling drained. We wouldn't think that that would be a symptom. It's one of the symptoms of anxiety. Trouble concentrating on anything other than present worry. It's all you think about is being worried. Worried about this, worried about that. You're fearful about everything. And it's not a quality of life because you can't enjoy the present moment. You're having trouble sleeping. Trouble falling asleep, staying asleep. Oftentimes when I talk to uh, my patients and particularly women, this is a difficult problem. We have problems falling asleep because we're thinking about what happened 10 years ago, what happened today, what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen 10 years from now. We're always in our heads thinking about this, that, and the other, how we're going to solve it, how we're going to fix it, what we're going to do if this, that, and the other happens. And so if your brain's going a mile a minute, how can you possibly sleep? How can you get that good rest? It's hard to do. And then staying asleep. It's hard because we can be woken up by our dreams because what we're thinking then goes into our dreams and then we're worrying in our dreams and that can wake us up with nightmares. So then we have a hard time staying asleep. So having a good sleep routine is important and calming our minds before we go to bed is very, very important. Experiencing gastrointestinal problems or what we would call having the bubble guts. You ever go somewhere and your stomach is in knots and you feel like, oh man, I need to make it to a bathroom quick. Those are gastrointestinal problems. It's being nervous. It's being anxious about where you're going, what you're doing, what's about to happen. Okay. Um, difficulty controlling the worrying. You want to stop it, but it feels impossible to stop. You feel like you can't stop it. The, con the worry continues. You try to put it out of your mind but it's just there. It's just waiting for you. Sometimes I, I ask my clients or my patients, does it feel like when you wake up in the morning, the anxiety is on the side of the bed, just waiting for you, waiting to greet you before you even get your foot out of bed? It's like, good morning, sweetheart. I'm ready. I'm here for you, waiting to worry with you. Anxiety can feel like that. It's just waiting for you. And it's an urge, having the urge to avoid things that trigger the anxiety. You ever have that person that you see them and you know they're going to trigger the anxiety and so you're looking for a quick way out before they see you? You're like, oh, here come Mr. Jones. Let me go the other way. That's the anxiety. They're bringing out something that you don't want to deal with. And so with anxiety, there's quite a few different types. Anxiety is a big umbrella and there's a lots of other disorders under anxiety. So we have agoraphobia, not wanting to go out and avoid you know, places or not wanting to be with people. Home is your safety zone. It's where you feel safe. You don't want to be with people. Um, anxiety due to medical conditions. A lot of us don't spirit experience anxiety until we get a medical condition, a heart attack, stroke, lung disease, any chronic illness. Pain can bring on a lot of anxiety. Pain brings on anxiety because we don't know when it's going to end. If it's going to end. If you have a terminal illness, what that's going to lead to, what it's going to do to the family. So due to a medical condition can bring on anxiety. Generalized anxiety disorder is one of the highest ones. Most people will suffer from this. 
and it's persistent and excessive anxiety and worry about daily activities or events, routine issues. It's just worry about everything because you don't know what's going to happen, how you're going to fix it, what you're going to do about it. Panic disorder, being in situations or places and you get that panicky feeling we discussed earlier, that heart racing, the sweating, the trembling, the gastrointestinal problems. Um, these panic attacks may lead to worry about them happening again. So you're having a panic attack about worrying about having a panic attack. And then you're on this hamster wheel. And so it can be never ending. Um, you have people that worry okay, I'm going to go to this place. I don't want to sweat. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And because they've been thinking about it, talking about it, guess what happens? They go to the place, they sweat, they have gastrointestinal problems, and they worry that everybody's looking at them. And then they begin to sweat and having gastrointestinal problems and everybody's looking at them. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so you see how it goes on that cycle and you just, you just keep going. You can't get off. And that breeds more anxiety and more panic. There's also separation anxiety. And our children seem to suffer from this the most. We expect this in our babies and one to two-year-olds, maybe three-year-olds. Um, but it can be debilitating for them as well as for their parents because we hate to see our babies suffer. Um, and while some of that is normal, at certain ages as we get older, it should not be normal. Okay? And we need to know when to seek help for that. You know, it's appropriate for a child's developmental age, but there's a point in time where it, it is not normal and we should seek help. Social anxiety disorder, again, being around people, being around crowds. Again, some social anxiety disorder, fear of speaking in public. Most people have fear of speaking in public. But if it's a fear of being around other people that we're going to say the wrong thing, we're going to do the wrong thing. That can be debilitating for us. It leads to isolation, which again can lead to depression. Anxiety and depression kind of go hand in hand. They cycle with one another and they heighten one another. And again, it's like being on a hamster wheel. I'm anxious, which makes me depressed, which makes me more anxious because I can't live the life I want to live, which makes me depressed. And it just keeps going and going and going. And we don't know how to get off that hamster wheel. People have specific phobias. You know, the major anxiety when you're exposed to a specific object or a situation. Um, I don't have a specific phobia, but I'm not really fond of spiders. So spiders, snakes. Some people have a specific phobia about bridges, walking over bridges, driving over bridges. People have specific phobias about heights. So certain things that we just don't want to be in that situation. And I think specific phobias is one of the highest for most people. And so we do avoid those. A person scared of heights probably is not going to get on the highest roller coaster. They're probably not going to go to the Empire State Building and look down. And so we avoid those things. Um, another important one is substance-induced anxiety disorders. And so how this happens is smoking, drinking, drugs, and you do those, and it brings on the anxiety. I had a patient uh, describe to me a moment when he thought he was just smoking a regular blunt, smoking a regular J, weed. It was laced with fentanyl. He didn't know it. He had a panic attack 
which ended ended him up in the hospital. He had no clue what happened. His anxiety was through the roof, and it lasted for months that he had to deal with that. Prior to that, he didn't have significant anxiety issues. So again, being careful with those things. Okay, so being exposed to toxic substances or withdrawal from drugs can bring on a substance-induced anxiety disorder. And then we have anxiety disorders that we just don't know where they come from. So if you can rule out all those other things, this is the area that we kind of end up in is other specified anxiety disorders or unspecified anxiety disorders. And we just don't know the exact criteria for them. So when you see a doctor, when to see a doctor for this is when you feel like you worry too much, if it's interfering with your livelihood, if you're not socializing, if you're having difficulty concentrating, being able to do your job, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not leaving your house, if you're not interacting with your family the way that you should, if you're not enjoying life, it's time to seek professional help. And again, at Life is Better With You Here, we have a list of qualified therapists that can help you with that. Your worry, your fear, your anxiety is upsetting for you and it's difficult to control. It's time to see a physician. It's time to see your primary care. It's time to reach out to someone that can help you. And that can be your religious community. It can be the Community Mental Health Center. It can be us at Life is Better With You here. If you think your anxiety can be linked to a physical health problem, because remember, our physical health is tied to our mental health, talk to your doctor. Don't be afraid to speak out. Closed mouth doesn't get fed. Speak up for yourself. Advocate for yourself. If you're starting to have suicidal thoughts, talk to your physician, talk to your family, best friend, clergy, your religious community, your communities of faith, reach out, advocate for yourself. So when we think about anxiety, we also want to talk about the causes. There can be many causes. We don't really understand all of them. One of the main causes that we do understand that can bring anxiety is traumatic events in your life. Experiencing the traumatic event or what we call vicarious trauma. And what vicarious trauma is, is having lived through the experiences of someone else's trauma, having witnessed domestic violence of someone else, having heard someone else's trauma, having somebody else tell you about their trauma and being worried about it, that it might happen to you. We can experience vicarious trauma simply by watching the news. You ever watch a TV show and it just gets to you? Again, when I talk about watching too much podcasts or on crime or true crime or watching horror movies, too much of those things can initiate vicarious trauma. Listening to family members talk about their trauma can be vicarious trauma. Um, Particularly, I think, in the African-American communities, when we listen to stories about slavery, when we know what our ancestors have been through, I think we have a generational trauma. Knowing what has happened to our ancestors, our um, ancestors, what they've been through, what we've been through, what we've suffered, what we continue to suffer, 
what we think we might continue to suffer. That's a trauma for us, leading to that post-traumatic stress disorder, which is why I think it is higher for us, because it's ongoing. It's been in our past. It's been in our present. We don't know if it's going to continue to be in our future. Whenever something happens, we are disproportionately affected by it. And I think it's because we carry trauma with us. And so being aware that trauma is one of the basis for a lot of mental health disorders and particularly depression and anxiety. So we can also have medical causes, heart disease, diabetes. Um, again, you know, we're disproportionately affected by those in our communities. Thyroid problems such as hypothyroidism, respiratory disorders like COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, asthma, being able to breathe. When we have asthma, our breathing is obstructed. Having the thoughts that you can't breathe, that breathing exercise we did in the beginning may be difficult for a lot of people. I can't imagine not being able to catch my breath when I want to. So anxiety also deals with, again, the future, the what ifs. What if I can't breathe? That's devastating. That's scary. That breeds anxiety, drug misuse or withdrawal. A lot of times in a lot of communities, but particularly in communities of color, when we don't ask for help, when we're weary about the medical profession, because there's been some scary things that have happened to us in the medical profession. There's validity in why we're scared, but we've got to grow through that and know that there are medical providers that look like us that care about us, that understand us. And so we have places to go. We have a lot of work to do in finding cultural competent care, but there are places we can go. But we don't always know that, and it hasn't always been available. And so at times, we mask our pain through drugs and alcohol. But when we do that, it increases our anxiety and depression. And withdrawal from drugs increases anxiety and depression. So we have to be mindful to find better ways of coping. So being careful with that. Um, chronic pain or irritable bowel syndrome increases anxiety. Chronic pain, pain is nothing to mess with. Anybody who knows anything about being in pain knows you do anything to get rid of that pain. And when you have pain and you go to the doctor and there aren't answers or they're giving you medication and medication isn't doing what you want it to do, it's not making the pain go away, we can feel like, will this ever go away? What if it doesn't go away? What if this doesn't work? Again, all the what ifs. And so again, that breeds anxiety. So we have to find ways to deal with the anxiety, to cope with the anxiety. So sometimes anxiety can have the side effect from certain medications. Again, advocating for yourself. When we're on medications, which medications can be a wonderful thing, but medications aren't the end-all, be-all. So if something's not working for you, advocate for yourself. Open your mouth. You're the expert on you. Yes, they are doctors. Yes, they are trained. But you're trained and you're the expert on you. We need help and that's what we ask for help for. But if a medication isn't making you feel good, 
if medication is giving you side effects that you don't like, you have every right to say, I don't like this. Can we try something else? It's called self-advocacy. And you are in within your rights to advocate for yourself. That is your right. It is your body. And the doctors are there for you. You are not there for them. They are there for you. And that's something to remember every time you walk into any physician's office. They are there for you. Remember your strength. Remember who you are. And if you don't like that doctor, if you don't like what they're doing, guess what? Second opinions work every time. There are more doctors you can go to. Okay? It's possible that your anxiety could be due to underlying medical conditions if you don't have blood relatives or parents with an anxiety disorder, if you don't have anxiety disorder as a child, if you didn't avoid certain situations, places, or things, if you don't do those things, it's possible that it's not due to an underlying medical condition. Um, if it just comes out of the blue and you don't have any of those other things that we talked about, you don't have a medical history, you don't, it's not in your family, it's not hereditary, you didn't have trauma as a child, it, be, it could be coming from something else. Again, that's when it's time to seek help. Okay, it's time to reach out to a medical professional and see what else this could be. Whenever you have questions, whenever something is going on, whenever things are happening, always ask, what else could this be? And we'll talk about that more in our upcoming podcast. Whenever there's a question you just don't know the answer, always ask, what else could this be? That'll help you find a lot of answers to a lot of things. So when we look at the risk factors for anxiety, as we talked before, trauma, people who have endured an abuse or trauma or witnessed traumatic abuses or events are at higher risk for anxiety. Um, adults who experience traumatic events can also develop anxiety disorders. Stress due to illness. Okay, stress buildup. We are in a world full of stress buildup. Our work, our families, our lives. Finding ways to de-stress is very important. But also remember, this isn't your fault. This isn't your fault. There's no fault here. Life happens. Things happen. And we have to remember, it's not just us. We didn't make this happen. This isn't our fault. But we do have to deal with it. So let's deal with it in effective ways. Okay? Some people are just prone to anxiety as part of our personality. Some people are just worriers. My mother is one of them. She is a worrier. Okay? Parents worry. I think once we have a kid, it's kind of built into us to worry. We have to learn to temper that to some extent. When we love somebody, we worry about them. That's inevitable. And that's okay until it's overboard and it's interfering with your life. Um, other mental disorders. Anxiety often coincides with other mental health disorders. It coincides with depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. There are other host of mental disorders that coincide with anxiety. So that's something to look for as well. And then if you have a blood relative with anxiety disorders, okay? And again, drugs or alcohol. Um, 
When we have anxiety disorder, again, it causes a lot of complications, social isolations, headaches, chronic pain, trouble sleeping, problems functioning, poor quality of life, um, and thoughts of suicide. You know, it takes us to that brink where we feel like we want out and we think suicide is the way. We all know that it is not the way. Suicide is never the answer. There's always tomorrow, the day after, and the day after that because it does get better and life is better with you here will help that. And so as we think about getting better, we talk about some ways we can prevent it. Get up early, do something with your day, stay active, be around people that uplift you. Remember, we always want to be around positive people, no negative Nellies, no negative Nates. We want to be around positive people. Okay. Let's find positive Portia or positive Paul. Let's be around people that uplift us. Avoid excessive alcohol use. No drug use. Okay? And remember, alcohol is a depressant. Alcohol is not a stimulant. While we think it makes us feel good and it's on and popping, while we... Alcohol is a depressant. So be careful. Okay? Find other ways to enjoy yourself. You just heard part one of our discussion on anxiety and depression. Tune in next week for part two. Thank you for listening. This has been the Life is Better with You Here podcast with Dr. Childs. For more episodes, you can find us on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and many more. We would also like to give gratitude to our sponsors, the Ohio Suicide Prevention Foundation and Global Insight Productions, without whom we wouldn't be able to do this. For more information about our sponsors, please visit ohiospf.org and globalinsightpro.com. And for more information about us, please visit our site, withyouhere.org. We look forward to seeing you next week. And if you have any suggestions for future episode topics, send us a message through the link in the description or the message button if you're using the Anchor site. Also, if you or someone you love is in crisis, please call 988 or text Steve, S-T-E-V-E, to 741-741 for free and confidential support 24-7. And again, thank you.